0: Again, we're so glad to welcome you this morning and uh, have a number of folks, of course, traveling and doing all the things folks are going to do at this time of year, uh, but so glad that you're here with us today. I know there are a few coughs and sniffles, and again, it's that time of year, so will be praying for one another, but uh, I'm so excited to be here today and be able to worship the Lord together. This is the reason for this season that uh, Jesus Christ came to this earth that He was born to live and then to die for our sin so that we could have eternal life and have a relationship with God. So it's a wonderful time to be able to celebrate His birth together. And I hope that you'll have a wonderful time this week, whether you're with all your family or none of your family, whether you uh, have lots of gifts or very few gifts, we can remember the best gift of all. The gift of Jesus Christ, God's Son, given to us. And no matter who you are, where you are, where you come from, or who you're going to be with this holiday time, we can have the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us. Emmanuel, that's his name. We're so thankful for that. And I hope that you'll be meditating on that and thinking on that as we live in a world that tries to get us thinking about everything else this time of year. Let's take time to think about the Lord and what he's done for us and to praise him for all that He's done. I'm so thankful for His gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die for us. Well, we're excited about things coming up ahead as we're looking forward. Our ladies are going to be having a Christmas, not Christmas, a winter tea. It'll be Christmas. It's not in two days. But January 26th, so ladies be planning for that. There's a sign-up sheet in the back so we can be planning. I've already seen pictures of teapots and teacups and all kinds of things going around, so I know it'll be a very nice time. And so that'll be on that Saturday. Before that, though, we're looking forward to a couple other things as a whole church. One thing on January 13th. We're going to be having our vision Sunday. This is a time I want to be able to share with you some things as we reflect back on this past year. God has given us a great year in 2018 here at Arise Baptist Church. And we want to spend some time praising the Lord for that. And we also want to spend some time looking forward into 2019 and beyond of what the Lord has for us. So I hope you make special plans to be here that day. Of course, it's a Sunday morning like every other Sunday. But to hope that you'll be here that day so that you can be a part of hearing what's going on and, and being a part of all of those things as they come up. And one of the wonderful things coming up right after that is our missions conference. That starts the very next Sunday, January 20th, and uh, that'll be 20th through 23rd, Sunday through Wednesday. And I'm looking forward to a very special time as we think about God's work, not just here in Houston, but all around the world and how we can be a part of that, and how we can be praying for that. And so again, those will be some special things coming up, even right here in the month of January. And I don't know about you, but after I come through a December, sometimes you just feel like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm headed. Um, I, I don't know what all just happened. I feel so busy. But I hope that we'll take some time at the beginning of the year in January to really focus as a church, as we come together for a Vision Sunday and And plan together and pray together and praise the Lord together. And then, as we look forward even to missions and other things coming up, that God will really give us a clear focus and a clear purpose as we go into the next year as a church and also as individuals. And uh, we often make New Year's resolutions and things like that. And how wonderful! Would it be for us as a church to resolve to do some great things together for God? Because the church is a body. It's made up of lots of different pieces, lots of different people. In this case, with Jesus Christ as our head. And so as we serve Him together, as we work together, it's amazing what the body can do when it all comes together and works. And our church has seen that this year, this past year, this year that we're just finishing up. And I believe we'll see that even going forward. And I hope that you do your very best to be a part of that as we serve the Lord together. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and uh, then after we pray, Freddie, you come and read the Scripture to us. Father, thank you for this time that we have together in the midst of everything else going on, that we could set aside a day that you set aside for us the Lord's day. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, died in our place, Lord, we celebrate on Sunday because Sunday was the day that you rose from the dead to show that you have power over sin and over death. Lord, we thank you for that reason to celebrate. Lord, I pray for those this season that are traveling, that are sick, that are away. pray for those that are missing loved ones, family and friends. But Lord, help them to look to you. The God of all comfort, the God of peace, the God who is with us, that you would strengthen us, give us purpose as we live. Lord, not for ourselves, but for you. Bless this service now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of John. Turn to the book of John this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been thinking of the different, of different gifts different Christmas gifts, while John 14 isn't the uh, traditional Christmas passage, we've looked at a number of different things from Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 over the last few weeks, the gift of hope, the gift of peace, the gift of joy, this morning I want us to think about the gift of love, the gift of love. Last week, we started off with a question. This morning, I have another question for you. How do you know that somebody loves you? How do you know? How do you know if somebody loves you? If you're married here this morning, how do you know that your spouse loves you? Say, well, they told me on my wedding day, and I haven't heard anything since, but I hope it had not changed. That'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Would you say if that was the case for you that you would know that your spouse loved you? Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not talking about my relationship with my spouse. I've told her I loved her a lot of times since we got married. try to tell her several times a day. How do you know that somebody loves you, though? Is it just telling them? True love is not a noun, it's an action. It's an action. We often would define love or the knowing that somebody loves us by what they give, right? By how they serve. Right? We could probably just sum it all up in one word, Action. Action. How do you know that somebody loves you? Well, by their actions, right? By what they do. I think in this world that we live in, love is very misunderstood. And it's very misunderstood because people are not very good people. And so the things we call love as human beings often are not love because the love that Sometimes we as people profess to one another is based on something we like or something we want or trying to get something that will somehow satisfy some, of, some personal desire that we have. We think of falling into love and falling out of love, but none of those things are truly God's idea of what love is. While we may characterize those things as love and call different things love, they are not the love that God has demonstrated to us. I think one of the most well-known scriptures in all of the Bible is John 3.16, which speaks of God's love. For God so loved the world. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because if it did, that would be kind of a human way of thinking of love. Yes, I love you. But God didn't stop there. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave. So His love motivated Him to give, and not just give something small, but to give the greatest gift that could ever be given. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How do we know that God loves us? The gift of love. Let's look at this passage again in John 14. <clears throat> These are the words of Jesus Christ Himself as He's getting close to the end of His earthly ministry. Of course, we know He was born. That's what we're celebrating this week. But He didn't... Wasn't, we don't celebrate it just because He existed. <clears throat> we celebrate His birth because of what He did with His life. We celebrate His birth because of who He was and what He did for us. John 14 verse 28 says this, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. When Jesus, we read about Jesus' disciples, and as they heard Him speaking about the fact that He was going to go away, that He was going to leave them, they became very concerned. But they weren't concerned for Jesus, they were concerned for themselves. Lord, if you go away, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? That's often how our love is, isn't it? Our love is often like that. Well, I love you for what you can do for me. I don't love you for who you are or what you need to do. I I love you for how you benefit me. And that was these disciples' attitude towards the Lord. They love the Lord because... He gave them food. They loved the Lord because He did miracles. They loved the Lord because of really what He did for them. And we see this even as we get to the end of Jesus' ministry because pretty soon one of His own disciples, Judas, betrayed Him. Now we could speculate as to why Judas betrayed Him, but for whatever reason, Jesus wasn't doing enough or wasn't doing what Judas thought he should be doing, or maybe Judas thought he could get more benefit by betraying Jesus than by following Jesus. We read of Peter who denied Jesus three times, who in the moment when he was pressed and it was he was afraid for his own life, he was willing to deny Jesus Christ. We would say, that's not love. Well, think of the other disciples. They... For the most part, other than John, they ran and hid in the upper room. They didn't want to be around. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, all of His disciples weren't there. We read of John who was there, and Mary was laying her head on His shoulder. But other than that, the rest were nowhere to be found. Aren't you thankful that God loves us even when we don't love Him back like we should? The Bible tells us that very clearly, that even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to write it down, you can look it up. It's Romans 5.8, but God commendeth, He demonstrated, He showed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's great love, isn't it? Love that it doesn't expect anything in return. Love that is willing to sacrifice itself for the good of someone else with no thought of themselves. See, these disciples, they were afraid they didn't know what to do. They had a problem. Jesus was going to leave them, and they didn't know how to respond. Their problem was their perspective. Perspective. They didn't understand, really, what Jesus was going to do. They were thinking of themselves. But Jesus was looking forward to this day. He was looking forward to it, not because of the pain and suffering that He would go through. In fact, we read that Jesus tried to... He said, God, if there's any other way, let it be done. But He said, not my will, but Thine be done. So Jesus was willing to go... And to do this because Jesus knew what needed to be done. Look at verse number 28. We see it there as Jesus says, If ye loved me, ye would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father. Now think about that. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice. Why would they rejoice? Well, when Jesus came to this earth, He gave up His kingly robes in exchange for a humble birth and for life here on this earth. He gave up His riches. He traded them in for carpenter's tools. During His earthly ministry, many people treated Him horribly. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 53, in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him we were ashamed of him he was despised and we esteemed him not or the bible says in second corinthians 8 and verse 9 for ye know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor can you imagine doing that for somebody else? If you were rich, but you became poor, he says that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. He gave it all so that you and I could be rich. One of my favorite passages that describes this is found in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Did you follow that? Let me go over it for you quickly so you understand. It says, Jesus, He was in the form of God. Jesus is God. But instead of staying in heaven with God, He laid aside His heavenly robes, if you will, and He came to this earth. He made Himself of no reputation. He was born and then laid in a manger. That's no reputation. That's the lowest of the low. He's laid where the sheep and the cattle eat. A trough. It's not some beautifully handcrafted wooden thing, probably with fresh hay in it. This is just the dirty place where the cows eat from. No reputation. He says and he came and he was and took upon him the form of a servant. In that society, that day, the servant, that was the lowest level of society. This one's maybe hard for us to wrap our heads around, but it's like there's a progression here. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and then he goes even lower, believe it or not, made in the likeness of man. He said, made in the likeness of man? That's not so bad. It is when you think of what he gave up. See, we think pretty highly of ourselves sometimes because we don't really think of what God is and who he is and what he is and what he's done for us, of where he's come from, that he truly is in charge, that he truly is the creator of this universe, that he sits on his throne in heaven and whatever he says goes. And he laid all that aside, and he took upon him the form of a man. It says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. We go even lower. And became obedient unto death. Say, that's pretty bad, but it goes even a step lower. Even the death of the cross. This was the very worst way that the Roman authorities had come up with to be able to put somebody to death. It was the most painful thing that they could come up with. It was the most awful situation that could ever happen to these people, as far as they knew how. He lowered himself. How do you know somebody loves you? By their actions. See, Jesus is telling His disciples here in John 14, Rejoice, because I go unto the Father. God's will was going to be done. God always keeps His promises. What He says goes. I think that's one way that God demonstrates His love toward us, and that His will is always accomplished. What He says, He always does. You may be here this morning Maybe you're discouraged. You look around and life is a mess. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel like you've kind of got a handle on things. You've got it together. Things are good. You've had a good year. Things are looking up. I want you to know God has demonstrated His love to you in the fact that He always accomplishes what He sets out to do. He always does it. If He tells you something in His Word, and He's told us a lot, hasn't He? We better study to show ourselves approved unto God. We better learn what He says in His Word. But if He tells us something, He will accomplish it. In verse 28, Jesus is not saying that He is inferior to God. He says, for my Father is greater than I. There are many false religions that would teach that Jesus was not God, that in fact He was inferior to to God. No, it says he was equal with God, Philippians 2, but he chose to lay that aside, to come to earth, to die on the cross for our sin. He's not saying he's inferior to God, rather, he's saying, I'm submitting my will to the will of God the Father. Jesus said in Mark 14 36, and he said, Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus said, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, even if it means dying on the cross. Jesus, over and over in Scripture, claimed to be one with God the Father. John ten thirty. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And he rejoiced in this opportunity to be restored to his place next to God the Father. He wanted his disciples to rejoice with him at the completion of his goal. But they couldn't rejoice because they said, Boy, for you to go through that, look what we're going to lose. How short-sighted they were. Thinking of what they would lose when Jesus was about to go through the death of the cross. Talk about losing Everything. And you know, I don't think it was the pain and suffering of the Roman soldiers beating Him on the cross that was the worst thing that Jesus experienced that day. I think Jesus in His own words tells us what was the worst thing that He experienced that day. Even though it was an awful thing and could spend time talking about the awful things that happened to Him through the crucifixion as they persecuted Him and tortured Him and beat Him. I think the worst thing that Jesus experienced that day on the cross is as He hung there that God the Father placed all the sins of the world on Him and then the Bible says that God turned His back on His Son. And Jesus cried out, Father, Father, why hast Thou forsaken Me? I think this was the greatest pain that Jesus experienced that day. To be separated from His Father that He had been one with for all eternity how do you know somebody loves you by what they do for you how do we know that Jesus loves us how do we know that God loves us because God gave his son because Jesus was willing to go to the cross on our behalf What a wonderful thing to celebrate at this time, not the fact that he died alone, but that he rose again three days later, that he died for our sins to pay the penalty so that we no more will have to walk in darkness, but we can have the light of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that wrote it down. He's the one that completed it for us. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did He go through all of that? It was for the joy that was set before Him. What was the joy? The joy of being able to reconcile us to God. To bring us together with God. I was thinking about this this week. I was meditating a lot on this thought of love and doing things for other people and serving other people. Think about it. What was God's motivation to do everything He did to send His Son, Jesus Christ? What motivated Him to do that? I mean, He's in heaven, He has all power, He has everything He needs. All He has to do is speak, and it comes into existence. If he didn't like the first world because people did wrong, he could have wiped it all out and started over fresh, right? He, he could have done all of that. What motivated him to do this? There's only one answer. It's love. It's love. He, he, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. We don't somehow fix a problem for Him. He doesn't need us down here like little slaves fixing things and making things. He's God. The thing that motivates Him to do this for us, the thing that motivated Him to send His Son to die for us, the thing that motivated Jesus to leave heaven and come to this earth and be born, as was announced to the shepherds that night, it was love. It was love. This love is demonstrated to us because God always does what He says He will do. It's also demonstrated, we can see here in verse 29, He says, And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. So think about it. These disciples, they didn't have all the information that we have now, right? They they didn't have the whole Bible completed for them. They're experiencing it in real time. Right? And you and I know what that's like in our life, right? We, we don't know what's going to happen later today or tomorrow or next week or next year. We have plans, we have thoughts, we have ideas, but we're operating on past experience. We're operating on what's happening in the moment, right? Because none of us can see the future. There's only one that can, that's God. And He doesn't just see it, He holds it. He's in charge of the future. But these disciples, they're living here in this moment, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and it's a struggle for them. It's hard for them. Things are happening, and they're not sure how to respond. Sometimes that's the way it is in our life, isn't it? In fact, I think it's that way a lot of times. We cry out, God, I don't know what you're doing. God, this doesn't make sense. God, I don't know what to do. And that's why Jesus told these disciples that day, He says, I've told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. God, I believe, has demonstrated His love to us in that the truth has been documented for us. It's been written down. God's promises have been recorded for us in the Word of God. God's plan for eternity has been recorded for us in the Word of God. You say, well, how does that help me with my problem that I'm facing right now? Well, when you understand the big picture, that God's in charge, that God will win, that God will always fulfill what He sets out to do, that in the end of the day, I'm going to have to give an account to God someday for how I live my life. And You're either going to spend eternity with God or spend eternity separated from God. And so I want to share that with other people. Why? Because I love them too. Because God loved me, so I ought to love others and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. It ought to motivate me to help those who are in distress, help those who are having struggles, help those that don't have the answers. Why? Because God has told me what He's going to do. God has told me what's going on. You say, but... You mean you know every little thing about every situation? No. But you know, you don't have to to be able to do what God wants you to do. Just like children don't have to know every single thing their parents are doing to still be just fine, right? And yet as kids, we all know, we, we love that question. Why? 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 And some of us, I'm going to include myself in this, we've grown up now, And so maybe we're not asking our parents why. Maybe some of you still are. I don't know. But now we ask God, why? 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 God's love for us motivated him to write down the truth for us. And he was documenting it for those disciples right then. He said, I'm going to tell you now so that later when it does happen, you will believe. The Bible says this, that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I believe it's impossible really to have faith in God if you don't understand from the Word of God who He is. That's why studying God's Word together is so important. It increases your faith. Why? Because you're reading and you're learning things that God has said. He's teaching you about who He is and what He does and how He accomplishes things. He shows you what His plan is and how He's been faithful to fulfill everything that He has set out to do. And we read some things that He still hasn't done yet, but we say He was faithful to do all of that, so we know He's going to be able to do this too because God's character never changes. And that's how we learn about God. Faith is increased, not by what we see, so much as what we learn and understand from the Word of God. But here's what's neat. When you understand the truth of God's Word, when you begin to read it and study it and learn it, then as things begin to happen in your life, those real-time situations that you face, then you begin to see things happen and you say, wait a minute, that lines up with how God said He would work and how... God said He would provide all of my needs. You say, I don't know how it's going to happen. You're facing some situation. You don't know how God's going to provide or what's going to happen. But you say, I know He said He'll provide. And then what happens? If you've lived any time with the Lord, you've seen God provide something. And you say, wait a minute. I'm encouraged because I saw God provide, but I knew He would provide because His Word said He would. I think of a lot of people in this world, they're running around, They have no clue really about who God is because they have a conception of Him in their mind, but they haven't really studied God's Word to know who He is. And so they miss out on seeing the work of God because they don't know who the person of God is. They don't even know what to be looking for. It'd be like going through a Where's Waldo book and thinking that Waldo is wearing a blue sweater, you know? You'd never find him, would you? No, you have to look in the front and realize, no, he wears the red and white striped sweater, you know. And, and sometimes he's hard to find in the picture, but he's there. If you look closely, you'll find him. But if you don't even know what he's wearing, you'll never find him, right? I don't know, maybe that's a terrible illustration, but it helps me think about it. Because when we don't know what God looks like, when we don't understand who He is from, the person, from His Word when we haven't read it and studied it and thought about it and prayed to God and talked to God, when we don't have a personal relationship with God, we won't see Him at work either. And it's not because He's not there. Because God is always there. It's because we don't know what we're looking for. And we can look right past it and never find it. Maybe Waldo doesn't help you out. Maybe some of you men, this will help you. You know what it's like when your wife sends you to the cupboard or to the store to go find something. You look all over and you said it's not there. And then she walks in and pulls it right down off the shelf and hands it to you. Why? Because you didn't know what you were looking for. You thought you did, but you didn't. You were looking for the wrong thing. She knew what she was looking for and she found it right away. It's the same way with God. God has written it down. He's documented the truth. So that we would know when He fulfills what He says He's going to do. So my question for you this morning, do you know the truth of who God is? He's written it down for us. He's told us these things so that when they come to pass, we would believe. If you're struggling with your belief and your faith this morning, we need to get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. But too many people live their life according to their own experience, their own feeling, their own sort of random understanding of this world that's sort of made up of, you know, well, this is the way I grew up and this is what I've always heard and this is what so-and-so told me one time and I saw this movie one time and it kind of told this story, right? That's how people think. Let's get to the truth. God has demonstrated His love to us He wrote it down. He spoke the words. He he documented it for us. Jesus did this for His disciples. Jesus said, even back in John 13, verse 19, Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. Jesus told His disciples over and over things that would happen, and then when it happened, they were still surprised. Sometimes that's the way we are too. We're surprised. What's God doing? Well, if you've gotten His Word, you might just be able to understand some things about God. It might surprise you less. And you might see His hand at work. God didn't just stop working. He's always at work. He's God. But do we see it? Could you give a testimony if you were put on the spot right now this morning? I saw God do something this week. Fill in the blank. What would you say? I didn't, I didn't see anything. Well, maybe you weren't looking. Or maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. Let's be in the Word of God so that we understand who God is. Because when we understand who God is and have a right relationship with God, it'll help us, encourage us, because there will be dark times. We've been studying on Wednesday nights, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We, we quote those things. But I love that. It doesn't stop with the valley of shadow of death. He says that God would be with him. Do you know that God is with you even in the dark, difficult, hard times? So I don't know. I don't feel it. Get in God's word so you know what to be looking for, and you'll be able to find him and see him. I love it that God fulfills his promises. When He fulfills what He says He's going to do, it is a wonderful display of His power. It's hard to argue with somebody's personal experience, right? Someone says, well, I experience this. I live through this. This is what it's like. This is what these disciples went out later on. At this moment, their faith wasn't very strong. But later on, when Jesus did come back from the dead, when He did reveal Himself to them, and they saw Him, and they said, wait a minute, He told us this was going to happen, and It did. They went out, the Bible says, and they turned the world upside down. So, what does that mean? They were so excited about their message that they had to share it with everybody, and Christianity spread across the world from just a small group of people. That's amazing. The shepherds that night on the hillside when the angels spoke to them. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. They went and they woke the town up to tell everybody about it because they were full of joy because their Messiah had come. They woke everybody up. People said, what's wrong with these guys? They're crazy. Give them a different perspective, a different purpose because God fulfilled His promises. God's will was done and the truth was documented. I want you to see in verse 30 another way that God has demonstrated His love for us. He says in verse 30, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who's the prince of this world? He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. Jesus says, I'm not going to speak very much with you. He says, because the devil's coming. We know that the devil was coming And he was going to come into Judas. And Judas was going to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus saying, a lot's about to happen. A lot's about to take place. And I'm not going to be able to explain everything to you. Sometimes we face difficult times like that. We feel, I don't know what's going on. Things are happening so quickly. It's so difficult. What am I going to do? Jesus says here, the prince of this world cometh. But then he says, and hath nothing in me. Jesus went to the cross to defeat Satan once and for all. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Bible says that he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted. And Satan there met with Jesus in the wilderness, and he tried to tempt him three different times. In every single temptation that Satan brought, Jesus rebuffed it. He turned it back. He shut it down. And he did it with the Word of God. Amen. The devil had nothing on Jesus. He wished he could have had something on Jesus because if he could have even had, got Jesus to do one little sin, then Jesus' death wouldn't have mattered at all for you and me. Because one who has sin can't die for the sins of another. Amen. Only one who is perfect can die for the sins of another. I can't die for you. I'm not perfect. My death would only cover my own sin. I'd still spend eternity in hell because I couldn't pay for it all. The only death that could pay for my sin and your sin is the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to the disciples that day, He says, don't worry. He says, the devil's going to come. He says, I can't talk to you much, but he has nothing in me. Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse 14, "...for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same." In other words, Jesus came and He had flesh and blood. He was a real human being. He says that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Or 1 John 3, 8, "...he that committeth sin is of the devil." For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus knew that He came to bring defeat to Satan. Or as it says in John 12, verse 31 and 32, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. Jesus is speaking of when he would die on the cross, he'd be lifted up, right? He was hung on the cross. And he says, as I'm lifted up, he says, I will draw all men. Aren't you thankful that his love was demonstrated to all the whole world? See, God's love was demonstrated to us and that he always Fulfills His plan. His will is always done. His love was demonstrated to us in that He wrote it down. He documented the truth for us. His love was demonstrated to us in that the foe, His foe, would be defeated. You love somebody when they protect you, don't you? They give their life for you. They, they stand in the way of something so you don't have to go through it. We love our, often some of you may may say, well, I love my mom. She did that for me. She was there for me. She protected me. She took care of me. My dad did it. Maybe it was an uncle or an aunt or a friend, some other person. They stood in the gap for you. They helped you. Jesus is that for all of us. And I'm so thankful that he understands Bible says in Hebrews 4:15, "For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin." Hallelujah. Jesus won the victory. He won over sin. And then we see here in verse 31. the final demonstration of Jesus' love in this passage for us. He says in verse 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. We see His love demonstrated for us here in His obedience to the Father. Love for God is demonstrated by obedience to God. We see this mentioned three different times in this chapter. Look look back at verse number 15 of John chapter 14. The Bible says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. If you love God, keep His commandments. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them... He it is that loveth me. Or look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. Three different times preceding verse 31, we see love demonstrated by obedience. And Jesus here is not asking us to do anything that he would not first do himself. He's told us, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in verse 31, he says, I love the Father, and I'm going to keep his commandments. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, the perfect example of love being demonstrated by obedience. Jesus demonstrated His love for you and for me by obeying God the Father, by submitting to His will and doing what God asked Him to do. And we too ought to demonstrate our love for God by obeying what He tells us to do, by keeping His commandments. It's a very simple passage here, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. This really answers that question from the beginning. How do you know that somebody loves you? He says right here, this is how the world will know that I love the Father. How? As the Father gave me the commandment, even so I do. How does the world know that you love God? Do you keep His commandments? Do you obey what He tells you to do? How does anybody know that you love them? It's by what you do. It's by what you do. Our actions demonstrate our love. And I want to encourage you this morning because I know all of us in one way or another have probably experienced something where someone was not very loving towards us. They didn't demonstrate love towards us. And it might have even been somebody who should have, right? He says, they should love me. They they should care about me. They even told me they did. And they didn't do it. And often those experiences in our life cause us to live by that feeling of mistrust of everybody and everything. I don't believe anybody that tells me they love me because that person hurt me. I want you to know this morning there's somebody who will never leave you or forsake you. Someone who loves you to the end and we celebrate that at Christmas time at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, over and over, through the person of Jesus Christ, has demonstrated His love toward us. He demonstrated His love in that He fulfilled a plan and a promise that He made clear back from the beginning of creation that He would send a Savior. He demonstrated His love toward us and that He promised it. He wrote it down. He documented it before it even came to pass so that when it did happen, we would know that it was true. He demonstrated it to us by defeating our foe. He didn't just send us out there to live and say, Good luck. No, He went before us as the captain of the army, if you will. And he defeated our foes, Satan, once and for all to give us eternal life. Great demonstration of love. And he demonstrated his love toward us, finally, by his obedience to the Father, which is an example that we should all follow of being obedient to our Heavenly Father. And as Jesus finishes then, he says to his disciples there at the end, Arise. Let us go hence. He's demonstrating his love. He's saying, Let's go. Let's get up. Let's fulfill it. His love motivated him to go. His love motivated him to do. His love motivated him to die. He knew what was coming. He was God. He knew everything. Say, so why would he, if what motivated him? Why would he do it? It's love. So I've never experienced that kind of love. Well, you can. You can. And if you truly experience the love of Christ in your heart, it'll change you. But for some of us, it's, it's, a, it's really something we have to experience every day. Because the things of this world and things of life will come in and cause you to doubt, cause you to question. You say, wait a minute. If God's really God, then why did this happen? And how did this situation come up? And I thought this would work out differently than it did. And why did this person treat me like that? We've got to get back in the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. What did God say? How do we know? What is the truth? How do we live it? I encourage you. That's part of why we come to church. So we can hear the truth proclaimed to us again so that we can talk to other people that are going through life struggles together and put our arm around one another, encourage one another, and pray for one another, and help one another. It's, it's being together. It's being part of the church, of the body of Christ. You can't go it alone. You need the Lord, and we need each other. I'm so thankful for the gift of love. Have you experienced that gift? I hope that you have, that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins. He'll do it. He loves you. And if you've experienced it, the problem, though, for some of you is you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, but you don't live as if you've really received that gift. It'd be like if in our household, we, Shandy gets new Christmas pajamas for all the kids. And they love their Christmas pajamas. I even got Christmas pajamas this year. So, we'll all get our Christmas pajama pictures and do all that. The kids, we give them that gift early so that they can open it and we can wear our pajamas together on Sunday morning and have some fun pictures, and it's a fun thing. It's a a tradition. Of course, with five kids, we have a lot of pajamas in our house now. But imagine if on Christmas morning, one of our children comes running in, and they're wearing something different. You know, they're wearing their old pajamas that are full of holes from last year that don't fit anymore because they're growing out of them, you know. Shandy might look at them and say, go get your pajamas on. This is a family time. We're going to all wear our Christmas pajamas together. They might say, why? I I don't have them. Why don't you have them? I gave them to you. Just go get them. I've washed them. Put them on. You're part of this family. You got Christmas pajamas just like everybody else. Sometimes we do that spiritually though, don't we? We come running through life sort of acting like we don't have the new life that God has given us. We go running around and we look just like everybody else and You say, but wait a minute, I thought you're part of this family. I thought you're part of God's family. He gave you the gift. Why don't you take it and use it and live like it? Some of you are still running around in your old pajamas. But God's given you a new set. He's given you a a robe of righteousness, and it's not your own. It's the robe of righteousness that's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're still a sinner and so am I, but I'm forgiven. My sins have been covered because of Jesus Christ. As you think about this Christmas time, think about the gift of love. That God so loved the world that he gave. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to look at your word. Lord, there's so much in it, we could talk about it all day. Lord, help us to never grow tired of the love that you showed us. Lord, when we truly experience that love, when we live in light of that love, the forgiveness that it brings, the hope that it brings, the peace that it brings, the joy that it brings, Lord, it can help us as we face everything that we go through on a day-to-day basis. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting this morning, those who are struggling this morning, those who have lost things this year, or they look forward to this next year and they don't have a lot of hope because they don't feel like they have much to carry into it. I pray that each person here this morning would know that they have at least the opportunity to have a, a savior. Lord, I, if there's somebody here this morning that has never trusted you as their savior, I pray that they would this morning. Lord, if if we're all sitting here this morning as saved believers in Christ, let us live in light of the love of Jesus Christ. Let us show that love to others by how we live, by what we say, by what we do, that we might show the love of Christ as you so richly showed it to us. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.